This is the Epilog Audio Experience. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Passion People Podcast. And this is your host Naga. I'm delighted to have you guys here. Through our conversations with passionate people, we aim to get an insight into how people have made their passions manifest and the kind of nuances that are involved for them to get here. Each episode can be listened to at your convenience and in your favorite podcasting platform. In order to stay abreast of our future episodes, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. I'm excited about today's conversation because we're talking to someone who's had the kind of impact on people that is very rare. I'm talking about Hera Hussain, who runs Chen. Chen is a social change organization that helps women empower themselves through technology. To call Chen and Hera popular would be a massive understatement because they've been featured on so many places. Most recently, Hera was part of the 35 under 35 innovators list by the MIT Technology Review. She's part of the Forbes 30 under 30 list for social entrepreneurs in Europe. Chen has been covered by publications ranging from The Guardian, The Telegraph, Wired, Cosmopolitan, Third Sector, Galaxy, Miss Malini, Mashable, Teen Vogue, BuzzFeed, and more. Due to the sheer depth of our conversation, it's been split into two episodes, which is the first ever in the history of the Passion People podcast. And I hope you see value in doing that. The reason that we've done that is so that we can encourage you to pause and reflect on the kind of insights that Hera provides us in the episode. We talk about what spurred her on to start an organization like this. Why gender-based abuse and violence stirred her up so much and everything that it takes to build an organization with the kind of focus and dedication that Chen has. No matter what kind of a person you are and what stage of life you're in, I'm sure you'll have some tangible takeaways from our conversation. So diving right in to part one of two. See you on the other side, guys. First off, Hera, thank you for making time off your busy schedule to be on the podcast. So I think a good uh, good place would, uh, to start would be maybe to give us a brief intro about yourself and what you do and what your passion is. Great. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, My name is Hera Hussain. I am from Pakistan. I was born in the UK, but I grew up in Pakistan, so it's, uh, it's the opposite the way it usually is. And I'm 27, I think. Actually, no, I'm 28. <laughs> I'm 28. I'm turning 29 this year. And, oh my God, I forgot my age. I was born in 1989. <laughs> yeah, so, you're going to turn 29 this year. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the founder of Chen, which is a volunteer-run network um, that uh, pulls resources together for women who are experiencing domestic abuse and other forms of gender-based violence. All of these resources are online and they're open source. So, and the answers... They answer, you know, critical questions that women have. Things like, how do I get divorced in my country? What is the child custody law? How do I find uh, manipulation in my relationships? Am I in an abusive relationship? All of these sort of questions that you think are kind of no-brainers that should be easy for women to find out, but they're actually not. So that's what Jen does. And 70% of our 400-plus volunteers are uh, survivors of abuse and are or we reach, you know, we've reached 200,000 people over the past five years. And um, it's a really amazing community of people who are putting this stuff together. That's awesome. Congratulations on all of the impact that you guys are doing and Thank you know, you everything uh, you guys will be doing moving forward. I think, uh, can, can you uh, 
can you take us back in time to kind of how how you reached this place uh, from you know maybe your upbringing to where mm-hmm. we are today I grew up in Lahore which is in Pakistan and I grew up in a very happy family so I had a very sheltered uh privileged uh, existence I uh, my father is a doctor my mother is an artist and teacher so I just um yeah even though I had a very sheltered and happy childhood it was very clear to me that not everybody in Pakistan had the same uh experience and it was something that bothered me a lot i was you know always very very motivated to do something on women's rights my nickname in school was lawyer husain <laughs> and uh, yeah people used to joke that i would be I, on my high school graduation i was given the title of uh, most likely to be, to be benazir bhutto so um yeah people and you know i was pretty confident that i was going to do something on women's rights but you know throughout like up from there coming to the UK for um my education I had a degree in psychology and economics I just never managed to figure out what I wanted to do as in I knew something I wanted to start something that had impact for women um and women's rights and their position in society especially around violence because that is what really bugged me um there are lots of projects that are about women's education women's training and jobs but it was the violence that really really made me angry mm-hmm. and uh, i had this restlessness um and i was saying to naga before that the word bechani in urdu is the word that i would often just use to describe myself you know i just couldn't figure it out i tried to do a couple of different startups i tried to start up ethical fashion startup i applied to different business competitions mm-hmm. i got heavily involved in entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship at university and um got involved in different communities and just uh, applied to a couple of pitch competitions and you know got to the finalist stage a couple of times but then nothing people really couldn't see the business model and i personally couldn't see the business model either so it just kind of fell flat um so i didn't do anything for a couple of years um i just vol- started volunteering for a social innovation network called make sense which is like citizens coming together to solve challenges mm-hmm. faced by social entrepreneurs it was started in france but it is you know a huge community now i was one of the first volunteers that joined it they actually have chapters in india as well and mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's such an amazing community it was the first time i was seeing um true collaboration you know and there was like no hierarchy it was just so inspiring and Christian started and makes sense took a lot from the open source movement so it was just such an inspiring place to be uh, I got really heavily involved and it was the same time that I tried to volunteer for um uh, so I was like okay fine I'm not going to start a ethical fashion startup because they all fail and I can't figure out how to do it make this work so um and inherently I'm even though a lot of people will describe me as a risk taker mm-hmm. I'm a measured risk taker yeah i i'm not i'm not completely risk averse and i'm not completely like a risk uh, i don't know what the what the what the pro risk pro risk very risk risk definitely risk So yeah, so I just um so I put all my efforts into joining a volunteering program at a couple of charities and I got into one which is was at the to do with sexual violence and they had a very regimented program um and it was to join their helpline and I missed a couple of sessions which meant that they I couldn't be their volunteer and I put so much time and effort 
and just the way they kind of cut me off really affected me. Mm-hmm. I it was something it was like a it was like a blow to my ego at the same time as well. So I'm very aware of my own like shortcomings as a human, and I just you know in Pakistan I just never had any problem. I just always got everything. I I was in the debate society. I was in this and that. Even in in the UK, I was in the debate society. I was doing entrepreneurship stuff. Like it was like I got rejected from some place. You're killing it basically. <laughs> yeah, I just could not believe it. So I think it really hurt my ego. But at the same time, it made me pretty sad as well because it was the first thing that I wanted to do to do with women. It was the only thing I was doing that was to do with women. And um, just yeah, I spent quite a few weeks crying, <laughs> really depressed, eating pizza. <laughs> and then I thought, um, I just. Part of that idea uh-huh. to do with women's stuff, and I just you know, I think I became a slacktivist, like sharing stuff online and just doing that. And um, then through Make Sense, I joined um, a business model hackathon, which is a really cool format where you take charities and you work on the way they work and okay. their sustainability, rather than doing any cool apps for them. Mm-hmm. Which I I really recommend everyone to to organize and attend because it was fascinating for me. It was so. Like, there was so much energy in a calm way. Like, mm-hmm. it was practicing energy and creativity in a very calm and... It was just, like a strong undercurrent kind of a thing. Yeah, it was just such a fascinating event. It was organized by Make Sense that we had organized and with the uh, World Economic Forum's Global Shaper Chapter for London. Right. And uh, I just got so inspired. I remember at the end of the two days, the entrepreneur that we were working for, mm-hmm. um, she had tears in her eyes and she said... This has been so helpful, and I just thought, look, she can do this by herself. Five years. Uh, I actually don't remember how how long it was, but if she can do it, I can do it as well. And this thought came. I should mention that at the same time, or maybe a few months before, I had been helping two people very close to me. Um, one was in Pakistan, and one was in the UK, escape abusive marriages. And this is the time where I started figuring out that it was really difficult. To, it was very difficult to find resources. So then we were searching things like, okay, if she runs away and she goes to the police, what are they going to ask her? Mm-hmm. What are the laws? Like all these kind of things that were no-brainers and we just could not find. So that was, um, so all of these things came together. Right. It was just, um, you know, call it luck or fortune, but it was like this was happening. I actually, the two women that I were helping, I they were out of abusive relations by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like all this stuff was going on. I went to this event as well. And then one of my friends ran away from her home and the other one of them, I helped her and she came and started living with me. Mm-hmm. And then she got settled. She got her own place. Her child was fine. She was happy. So that had just happened a couple of months back. And then I attended this event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all the stars are aligned. Right. Yeah, and then so I w- go back to my friend's place and because um, I was sleeping over in London because I was at the time I was in Glasgow. So I go back to her place and um, thinking about all these things and I'm mentioning it to her and she's like, you should totally do it. You should totally do something. I'm just thinking, thinking, thinking and, and the next morning I get up, I go to her, walk with her to her co-working space which is in the heart of London's financial district. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in this really fancy building, um, and I pull out lots of papers, and I sit, and I just started sketching the what would become Chen's first project, Chen Pakistan, mm-hmm. which is collecting information around domestic abuse and support available in Pakistan, which is my home country. So that 
is I just sketched out what is the information that I couldn't find and my friend couldn't find. Mm. And that's the information that I'm going to put together. And uh, I it just it just felt so good. Like this it was just um it felt so great just sketching that out. But at the same time, I again as I said, all stars were aligned. I had been uh, listening to this TED talk from um, from a guy who said that if you really want to do something, you should not tell people about it because when you tell people about doing something good, they they you know they'll give you a lot of congratulations and they'll give you praise, and all of that takes away some of the motivation. Motivation exactly because you get that um, you know you get that. Uh, uh, positive feeling right. uh, already, so you're less likely to do something, and uh, it just that talk had really, really stuck with me. So I just decided to tell no one. So I started putting the website together. Only told a few friends, and I didn't even tell my two best friends. <laughs> they they were so mad when I told them at the end. <laughs> and um, then I, when I was at the point where I was so sure I was going to do this. I announced it to all the networks I was part of. So feminist networks, social innovation networks, make sense, uh, both in Pakistan and in the UK where I was. And said, I'm doing this website and I need her help. Um, and I just started crowdsourcing from there. But the thing that was most central to Chen was that it was really annoying for me, frustrating for me. And it made me very angry that when I was working, I was trying to help my friend and we were working together on her case, the attitude we saw on many charities because they just, their websites were completely targeted to, you know, funders or themselves. Like, our CEO went to this event. Here's our press release about it. Whereas this, you know, like my Where's friend... the work that you guys have done? Yeah, right? <laughs> my friend just, she doesn't care about that stuff. She just yeah. wants to go to the information that's relevant to yeah. her. Or we called helplines and, um, you know, they were closed or um, just stuff like that. And a lot of it is not their fault because this space has such little funding. Mm-hmm. And if, if, it's, if it's that bad in the UK, imagine like the countries where you know, public budgets are less or there's yeah. less of a civic movement. It's really bad. And uh, so they have to make compromises. So it's only now that I've in- engaged with a lot more um, frontline services that I kind of understand mm-hmm. why it was the case. But there's also like an underappreciation. There's also an underappreciation of the importance of the online world. You know, some of the charities are run by really old people. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Mm. So they don't think that women go to these sites. So yeah, in fact, I'll, I have a very funny story. Uh, it's funny and sad at the same time. I was uh, hanging out with someone who runs a charity, small charity uh, targeted to women from South Asian backgrounds in the UK. And uh, I we were talking about Chen, and this is like a this is like a few years ago, so it's not when I started. I'm I'm fast forwarding, and I said to her, um, she was telling me how many women call their helplines, and she said, you know, of the all the women that call our helpline, we help 500 women every year. And I was like, that's a big number because she only has a staff of 12. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's really impressive. But tell me, do you know how many people come to your website? Mm-hmm. She was like, yes. Uh, I was like, how much? And she said half a million. And on her website, there's not a single resource. Not a single resource. So I told her that of the half a million people, she's only helping 500. The only oh, only 500 are reaching out via phone. Yeah, what about the, the other? Half a million people. She's like, well, some of them are not from the UK. I was like, even if they're not from the UK, well, 
the others are from the UK, even those who are not, there's so much information you could be providing online just from stuff that you do. So, you know, that just explains the kind of approach that the sector has. Yeah. And it's the same story in all the countries that we work in. So, yeah, that was shocking. So, um, the so Chen is kind of plugging that gap. And right. all of our resources are open source, so any charity can use it. They can even put their own logo on it, mm-hmm. which is quite different for this space. You were at the start of starting Chen, right? Yeah. So, can you continue uh, with what happens next? With the journey, the community building... Um, how how you thought about the organization? Yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> that's the really hard part. I think it was the hardest thing I've done in my life is in starting Jen, uh, maintaining Jen. It's really easy to start things. It's yeah. really hard to maintain them. Mm-hmm. So getting the community right took a lot of time and learning on my own part. Well, I was very lucky that I was part of the Make Sense community. I use a lot of lessons from there and they gave me a lot of support and a lot of my friends from Make Sense joined as volunteers in the beginning to help me launch it. Mm-hmm. There's such camaraderie. It's um, it's uh, awe-inspiring. And I was able to take a lot of collaborative techniques. So, you know, made, I made sure that there wasn't enough hierarchy. There was not much hierarchy. We were delegating tasks, but we were also, you know, uh, in the beginning, we were... Uh, were very easy going with whoever joined. People could join for a short time and then mm-hmm. they could leave. Um, and then over time, we realized that that's very, you know, it creates instability in the organization. And now I think we have a pretty sophisticated system the way we work. Um, it's very productive. People can't believe that an organization that's completely volunteer-run, you know, myself, I, I'm a volunteer as well because I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And it's completely volunteer-run, has achieved so much. And it, it, it definitely took a lot of, like, learning and experiments so i'm happy to share what works and you know what doesn't work but the i think the most important thing for me has been that is getting the right people into chen and not going after quantity but looking at quality so you know we we organize on facebook because that's where volunteers spend their spare time that's where they're checking out what their friends are wearing that's where they're checking out what's happening in the world mm-hmm. So we, we choose to organize on Facebook and I can have lots of personal opinions about Facebook as a company right. or the fact that, you know, we have some complaints sometimes that people, you know, uh, people are not on Facebook and we've tried to accommodate those people, but we realize it just can't work. You spend all of your time chasing people. Yeah. Whereas the beauty of being on Facebook is that everyone's there anyway. So when they, see a, notification, yeah, when they see a notification from you, they're going to check it. So, um, so we're now we don't let people in if they're not on Facebook naturally. Some mm-hmm. people we even tried people who created accounts for us, but we noticed they just never engaged yeah. because there was an extra thing they had to do. Mm-hmm. So we missed out on some really good people like that, but it's worth it for us because we're so small in terms of we just can't spend all our time managing people. We want people who are you know self motivated, self assured. It you know. 70% of our volunteers are survivors of abuse. Sometimes they would be people, they are, they don't have the skills that they want because no one ever let them build skills. You know, we have women who've never used um, email. They've mm-hmm. never written a single email in their life. Wow. And they end up running, running Chen, joining like the executive team, which is, uh, you know, everything in Chen runs in cycles. We planned for four months. It used to be three months. We've now extended four months to allow more time for people to work. And um, each four month cycle is run by an executive team. And that executive team is made up of the volunteers that are most active. Mm. Um, and that, that changes every four months. 
which creates accountability for me so that you know I don't go crazy um, and but also it it makes sure that we have new blood and new ideas and we're promoting new people so it stops uh, it stops uh, kleptocratic structures from springing up in your community so you know these are all the kind of things that we've learned we've got we used to have project specific teams we've now scrapped that mm-hmm. we now have uh, you know, function-specific teams. So we okay. have a blog team, we have a social media team, we have a research team. And everyone works on multiple projects? Yes. Got it. Well, that's what used to happen. We've not changed that as well. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly experimenting to see what makes us most productive um, because ultimately that's what matters is like getting information out there and supporting more women. So now what we're doing is we are uh, choosing projects to promote and at the same time, new projects to create. Mm-hmm. And we'll divide that over this, the cycle. So one month, we'll be doing a particular thing. And everyone's working on that. And the second month, we're working on another project. And then everyone's working on that. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. It's been working really well, actually. And I regularly vlog about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something uh, people who are listening to this podcast can check out, which details how I run Chen, because I know it can be a pain yeah. to understand how you manage all these people who want to help. Right. Sometimes people can having just doing that will take all your energy and time. Yeah. And I always say management is a thankless task. No one thanks you for doing it, and <laughs> it is an absolute pain. Uh, Especially if it's in the not-for-profit sector, right? Because people are volunteering anyway, so yeah. holding them accountable becomes difficult. It's very difficult. Holding yourself yeah. accountable also is yeah. a challenge. Could you elaborate yeah. a little bit on and that? Yeah, and like structure is everything. Structure is everything. Mm-hmm. So. I think being quite like specific uh, in terms, we we will ask people to volunteer ten hours every week. Mm-hmm. Um, they, some weeks will be less than that. Some weeks will be more than that. That's up to them. But we expect people to respond when someone posts on the group. We expect people to turn up for the calls, and we will co-work with them. So this has been the most important thing that we were doing is we have co-working sessions. So people are not having a call and then going away and doing their own work. No. We do the call and the call is the co-working session so people work at the same time. Okay. When they're all, Which is, can be difficult because we have volunteers from 15 countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so time zones time and everything. But, you know, this is the beauty of volunteering. We have a volunteer in India and she's in Bangalore and she will often take calls at 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. Wow. Because that's the only time everyone else can make it because right. we have someone from America so then we have to account for their time too. Right. It's, uh, yeah, and I think I remember the most complex call we organized was in six time zones, mm-hmm. and it was so hard, <laughs> so hard. Um, so doing that, we use a lot of uh, online tools to help us organize. Mm-hmm. So we really refine the way we're working, um, and it's uh, it helps because it means we cut down on the management time mm-hmm. and we increase uh, the output. Right. So you spoke a bit about uh, accountability and how it's important for uh, you know for the organization of volunteers to stay accountable, yeah. right? How how do you as well as Chen as an organization how how do you guys keep yourself accountable and how do you how does one measure impact in the social sector? Uh, I, mean, I can absolutely cannot answer how does one measure impact in the social sector because it really varies from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. For Chen, it's been always been difficult because we are an online tool service content provider. And it's very difficult to measure that um, because if someone downloads our resources and prints it up, out 500 copies of them and distributes that, you know, in their local organization, we will never know. Right. No one will ever tell us. No matter how many times we ask people, they will not tell us. So we can never track offline. 
In right. fact, all we can track is how many people are visiting our stuff, they're downloading it. And then anecdotal evidence of women who are reaching out to us mm-hmm. and asking for help or telling us how good our stuff is. Mm-hmm. So um, many times I will come across uh, someone sharing our resource or mentioning our resource and I'm right in the room and I'm like, wow. You know, wow, does someone's been reading it? <laughs> Even though we know that 200,000 people have you know, seen it, we've, we've got 700,000 views. Mm-hmm. But it's just, just fascinating because we never get that one-to-one feedback from women unless right. they've reached out to us and we're helping them. So that's, it can be quite difficult, the measuring impact. We also measure impact in terms of how many of our volunteers experience change in their lives. Okay. So do they feel more confident? Do they have they achieved more? Um, in terms of uh, gaining new skills, making new friends, mm-hmm. you know, that community, that sisterhood is really important as well. So, you're talking about accountability, mm-hmm. impact, measuring impact. Impact, so, well, yeah, that. So, we also count, uh, yeah, change in people's experience of formal and change mm-hmm. And that's very important for me. That's like, awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's been how we've been doing it. But I'll be honest, we could be doing a way better job if we had someone tracking it. Mm-hmm. We are. We just can't. We are volunteers. Like the stuff that we manage to do, I'm s- still surprised it happens because <laughs> you know people by nature are flaky. So yeah. we manage to get an amazing community together, um, and stuff happens. Fantastic. I'm thankful for that. But um, yeah, some of Chan volunteers always say that I'm never happy. I'm always trying to think like, how can we be better? Right. Which is, I think, it's just a founder syndrome. It's uh, something uh, I try very much. Ho- I, I've I've made a conscious change in the last two years to not push hard myself or other volunteers, and just be a bit more relaxed and uh, accept that things will happen. When they happen. Yes. But I guess that sense of urgency is important. It's right? important because, for me because uh, of the type nature of our work. But right. I've also realized that if you keep that attitude, that mm-hmm. sense of urgency, it can infect your um, organization and the way you manage people. And I think it can make, make a toxic atmosphere. Right. So I definitely have felt in the past, and I'm, as I said, I'm, re- I'm very, I'm very, I find it easy to be to be to step back and take a look at myself as a leader and mm-hmm. as and the organization. And I can definitely identify a few situations where we did not have the most um, conducive atmosphere or the most uh, collegial atmosphere because, you know, there was this unnecessary sense of urgency um, with something because it's just, it's not worth it. It's just mm-hmm. not worth it. But this realization also comes with age and experience. So I feel like two years, <laughs> past two years, I've been able to slow myself down a lot. Because I, by, by my nature, I'm restless. Right. Um, but just because it's my nature doesn't mean it has to be, everyone needs to work according to that. I think that is what's important right. as a leader to understand that. So I'm definitely, I've become and learned more as a leader in the past two years. But I've also learned to just own my space. So, you know, the conscious decision to say no to people. Mm-hmm. Now we have this thing where if someone says they're going to join Chen and they're supposed to we have a call with them and then we add them to our Facebook group and we ask them to introduce themselves, you know, straight away after our call ends. If they don't do that, we don't accept them into Jen. Because for us, that's like a sign. Yeah. That, and you can say it's really harsh and I'm mm-hmm. sure, like, you know, we sometimes feel it's harsh, but every single time we have let someone in, despite there being a delay of one day, two day, and then they haven't posted and introduced themselves, mm-hmm. it just never works out. Yeah. And they're, 
lurkers, and that's another lesson that I've learned is like lurkers are bad for communities, very bad. So it's really harsh, and someone people have said that to us, but we we do it because we have to set the line somewhere, and that's our line. Our line is we need people who are so excited about doing this work yeah. that they can't wait, you know. Um, and we also account for different personalities, and then again, that's something that has come over time that we know that not everyone's very sociable, so mm-hmm. we'll push people as well. As long as they're showing enthusiasm, that's all we care about. Right. We will pair with people. We'll, you know, as I said, a lot of the survivors don't have the skills because, mm-hmm. you know, people have never let them. So we will give them responsibility. We will give them training. We will, you know, buddy up. We will do all of that. But what we really need is someone to believe in what we do and have self-initiative. Right. So that's part one of two for episode seven. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And we'll tune in to the next part, the next fortnight, to get into details of how a startup is similar to a social change organization and how it is not, the role of a strong family and a support system and how it influenced Hera during this journey and how she's evolved as a person as part of this process, our standard set of questions and how you can reach out to her in case you want to be part of the amazing work that Hera and Shane are doing. Have an absolutely wonderful day. I'd like to thank Shankar from The Writer and Geek Show for creating our beautiful jingle that you're listening to currently. Audio platforms, Storio, CastBox and Savan for featuring us, Audio Boom for hosting us, Bharat Ganesh for his graphics design, Saif Omar and Vishnu from The Musafar Stories and The Writer and Geek Show for their inputs and insights that have made our episode better today. This is Naga signing off, until next time.